Did you find Genesis chapter 14? So we're going to be a little scattered tonight. If you remember a few weeks ago, I, I preached a, a message on lessons from Abram. Remember that? So tonight is going to be lessons from Abram part two. We looked at uh, the very end of chapter 11 and then chapters 12 and 13. And it's not going to be necessarily, um, uh, what would you call it, an expositional study of Abram. Just kind of pulling out some thoughts, some uh, different experiences that he had in his life. And so tonight we're going to look at chapters 14, 15, and 16. Don't let that scare you. It's not, it's not that extensive. Um, it's just a long message, but it's not really extensive. So uh, follow along as I start reading from Genesis 14, verse 1. And it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Elisar, Shadolomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations, that these made war with Bera, king of Sodom, and with Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, Shemeber, king of Zeboam, and the king of Bela, which is Zoar. Drop down, if you would, to verse number 12. And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods, and departed. There came one that escaped and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol, and brother of Aner, and these were confederate with Abram. When Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. He divided himself against them, and he and his servants by night, and smote them and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods, and also brought back again his brother Lot, and his goods, and the women also, and the people. Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless the time we have together to look into your word tonight. Give us good insight and a sermon as to what you would have for us tonight. Thank you for bringing us here tonight. I pray that you would uh, be with the needs that are represented here tonight. Think of the prayer requests we mentioned this morning. I pray that you would meet each and every one of those according to your will. I pray for, for Chris and for Tom and for their family as their father passed away yesterday. I pray that you would just send them your peace that passes all understanding. Be with the family during these next few days and, and weeks and months. I pray that you would just meet their needs as only you can. Be with the others that we mentioned as well this morning. God, I th- pray that you'd be with those in the nursery tonight. Pray that you'd meet with us in a special way as well. Thank you for giving Maddie and, and Mab and Clark safety as they travel today. Pray that you'd give us a good week as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So we're in Genesis chapter 14. And uh, so my, my first thought is going to be Abraham's fighting servants. So Abram, as you all know, back in chapter 13, Abram and Lot had to depart one from another. Their, their, their flocks were too big and their herdmen were fighting together. And so you know the story. Abram said, you go to the right hand, I'll take the left. You go to the left, I'll go to the right. And so Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the well-watered plains of Jordan. And that's where he said he was going to go. So in the, then the Bible says that he pitched his tent towards Sodom. Are we good with that? So y'all probably know this story better than I do. So I'll just try to hit the high points of it. So Lot is pitching his tent towards Sodom in chapter 13. Ironically, when we get to chapter 14, the Bible said in verse number, we just read it. Uh, uh-oh, where did it go? Ah, verse 12. And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom. It's ironic, in chapter 13, he's, he's pitching his tent towards Sodom. We get to chapter 14, he's now dwelling in Sodom. It's, it's interesting as, as you begin to kind of follow that story that the Bible said that there were five kings that, that were with Sodom and Gomorrah. There were four kings that came against them. So we've got four kings against five. And the four kings that came against Sodom and Gomorrah were successful. They captured all of Sodom and Gomorrah. They took all of the people. They took all of the goods and all of the possessions. 
And one person escaped and got to Abram and said, Abram, we're in trouble. They have come and, and some opposing kings have come. They've taken everyone captive. They've taken the, the men, the women, the children. They've taken all of our goods. And Abram, the Bible said, took 318 trained servants. And if you follow the scripture, it said, born in his house. So if, if Abram had 318 trained servants born in his house, I would dare say that he must have had like a small community. I mean, if he had 318 trained servants born in his house, he could add 700, 800, maybe 1,000 or more people that he was responsible for. So when they traveled, it was like, last I checked, I think that the population of, of Sheridan was under 800. That's just probably the, the town section, but still, that's like a small little village. You know what I'm saying? Everywhere you go. And, uh, and then the Bible says that Abram grabbed his 318 trained servants. They went by night, and they recaptured everything. They brought everything back. They brought the men and the women and the children, and even all of the goods they brought back. And then the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah came out, and they said to Abram, they said, take whatever you want. And Abram said, I don't even want a shoelace from what you've got to offer me. He said, I don't want anyone saying to me that Sodom and Gomorrah made Abram rich. He said, I've got a couple guys here. He said, you can take care of them. Other than that, he said, I don't want to take any of these goods for myself. Now, let me quickly say this. So my first thought is Abraham's fighting servants. Why were they fighting? They were fighting because one escaped and said, Lot, your, your nephew and, and, and all of Lot's family has been taken captive. And Abram said, here I go. He was willing to risk his life. He was willing to risk the lives of his, of his servants. I mean, they were going up against four kingdoms and four kings. I mean, this wasn't just a small little venture. They weren't just going out after some neighborhood bullies. I mean, they're going after kings that were serious about what they were doing. Obviously, we know that God's hand was on Abraham, Abram. But here's the reason why I believe. I believe it was God's wake-up call to lie. See, I think whenever a Christian gets out of the will of God, I think God has a way of waking you up, of getting your attention, and trying to get you back where God wants you to be. And I think what God did in this case is I believe God was sending a wake-up call to Lot, saying, Lot, you really don't want any part of Sodom and Gomorrah. You were looking at it in the last chapter. Now you're dwelling in it. Lot, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send some kings that are going to take you captive, and you're going to say to yourself something like this. Shazam, we probably shouldn't be here. And he never came to that decision. Abram rescued him, brought him back, brought all their goods back, and he said, wow, God is good. We're right back where we want to be. Church, can I say this? If God ever sends you a wake-up call, you know what the best thing you can do is? Here it is, you ready for this? Wake up. Just wake up. When God's trying to get your attention, answer the phone and say, yes, sir. Where he leads me, I will follow. What he feeds me, I will swallow. Amen? Don't say, oh, God, I don't like what's on the menu. God, I don't like that territory. I don't like that particular town. I don't like that particular state. When God rings your bell, the best thing you can do is just wake up and say, here am I, Lord. Send me. I see Abram's fighting servants. I want you to look at verse number 18 of chapter 14. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, 
brought forth bread and wine. He was the priest of the Most High God. I believe Melchizedek was the pre-incarnate Christ. Verse 19, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And listen to this. And he gave him what? Tithes of all. You know what's interesting? You'd be surprised how many people say to me, Pastor Carl, I don't believe in giving to church, and I don't believe in giving the tithe, because after all, it was part of the Old Testament law. You'd be surprised how many people, Christian people, good people, I've had to say, no, 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 no. Tithing existed before the law. They say, show me. And I went to Genesis chapter 14 on several occasions and said, when Abram met Melchizedek, the king, king of Salem, king of peace, I believe it was the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible said that Abraham gave him a, he gave him a tithe. He gave him a tenth. He gave him tithes of all that he had before the law was even read. Oh, he said, Pastor Crow, you said that he gave him the tenth. Well, he did actually give him the tenth because in Hebrews chapter 7, listen to this, verse number 1, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to him also Abraham, listen to this, gave a tenth part of all. Now, we know that, that, that the tithe is a tenth, but I like how when the Bible is a commentary on itself, it made it very clear that when, when Abraham gave this tithe to, to Melchizedek, he gave him a tenth. Do you know, God was so good to us when he said, here's what I want you to give me. Actually, when we, we, we give the tithe, we're really not giving anything out because the tithe, according to Leviticus, is the Lord's. Now, let me say this. I, I, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. I'm going to touch on, j- just for a minute, um, we, we talked about Abram's fighting forces. Now let's talk about Abram's finances just for a minute. And, and, and I am preaching, can I say this? I am preaching tonight to a giving church, okay? Church, you, you, you know how to give, okay? Now I was um, talking to somebody the other day and they said, Pastor, there's this church in Virginia and uh, two weeks ago, Independent Baptist Church, in their bulletin, their offering was $134,000. The offering the next week went down a little bit. It was $94,000. And I said, whoa, that's wonderful. But then I said, I hope their offerings maintain at that level because they just built a $40 million building. And if you're going to build a building for $40 million, you know what I'm thinking? You need some big offerings. You know what I'm saying? Not just one or two. You need a whole lot of them. And I... You say, Pastor Crow, were you jealous? Oh, not at all. No, no, no. I was so glad we built this building for 900000 I was glad we paid it off in 10 years. It's been paid off almost 12 years now. And, and that nothing thrills my soul more than to know that, that we're, we're debt-free. And praise the Lord for that. So I don't get jealous at all. I do know this, though. We are a very giving church. And church, can I say this? Let's never lose that. Let's never, ever lose that. I forget who it was. I had a, a preacher here not long ago. And he made a comment to me, and, and I, I, I maybe, maybe I presumed a little bit, but he, he made a comment, and I said, I said, can I just say this? I said, I know you're only coming for a Sunday, but I said, when you leave here and you see your love offering, you're going to think you were here for a week. And he said, really? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. In fact, you might even think you were here for two weeks. Called the van just not long ago, and I, I booked him for a Sunday coming up later this year. And he made a comment. I said, look, brother, I said, do you have this Sunday available? And I said, I know your meeting simply goes Sunday through Friday. 
But I said, consider it this. Consider God laid you on my heart. I've got you coming for a Sunday. I said, we'll give you enough to cover your whole week. So come and preach for me on Sunday and take the rest of the week off and spend it with your wife. Consider that a vacation by a Beth Haven Baptist church. Brother Rich Zavodsky just sent me a, a couple pictures from Florida. They went to Florida to spend a vacation and his wife, can, his, his cancer has come back. And he, and, he, and he sent me these pictures and he said, Pastor Kroll, he said, this vacation was only possible because of what your church gave us when we came in November. Church, I'm telling you this. You, you, I understand that there's a blessing that comes to the giver, but I think there's some of the blessings we might not even see until we get to heaven. But can I say this? Don't, don't ever think, can I say this? Don't ever think that giving is just an obligation. It's not an obligation. It's an opportunity. Here's what the Bible says in Luke 6, 38. Give and it shall be given unto you. Listen to this. Good measure pressed down and shaken together and running over, shall men give into your bosom for with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says as you give, here's what's gonna happen. People are gonna give back to you and it's gonna be pushed down, it's gonna be pressed down and it's gonna be running over and God said with, with the, to the same degree that you give, that's the degree that is gonna come back to you. And I've said this once, I'll say it again. You'll never be able to outgive God. Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth. He gave him a tithe. I promise you, he didn't suffer for that. He was blessed for that. Years ago, we were in an ACE baseball. We were at the state convention, and we had a, a baseball team in it. And I wasn't the smartest kid on, on the team. I was probably the dumbest kid. And they needed four contestants. And my brother was on there, and Bill Wood was on there, and there was somebody else, and I think maybe Dennis Hamel, and then me, and I'm not really sure how I got on there. I did answer one thing about Cyrus McCormick. I think he did something with uh, some farming implement, wasn't it? And so I, I got that one right. And then they asked a Bible question and said, who did Abraham pay tithes to? I sat there, and, I have no idea. What church did it, uh, First Baptist Church of Salem? <laughs> I don't know. And uh, we got in the car on the way home. And my dad made a comment that just cut me right to the heart. He said, Kevin, don't you listen when I preach? I said, Dad, I, I listen when you preach. Sure, why? He said, do you know how many times I've said that Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek? And then I asked a bad question. I said, Dad, who's Melchizedek? My dad said, you just answered the question. You don't listen when I preach. He lectured me half the way home from Adrian all the way back to, to Greenville. And I'm like, oh. And you know what? I've never forgotten, Brother Wenger, from that day to this, who Abraham paid tithes to. My dad was like just in shock that I, I didn't know who Abraham. He said, he said you know, I don't, I'm not so worried about the other three guys. But he said, I thought if anybody knows this question, Kevin knows it. No, Kevin didn't know it. I didn't really have a clue. Can I say what else giving does in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 8? Paul said, I speak not by commandment. Listen to this. But by the occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. Church, do you know what, do you know what giving does? We preached this morning on sincerity. We preached this morning of being, having a sincere love. Paul said that when you give, it proves the sincerity of your love. 
Do you know, there are some people that just can't understand why people would give money to a church, why people would give a tithe and an offering. It, 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 it doesn't commute with them. It doesn't comprehend in their brain. But can I say this? If you've ever been in the process of giving, if you've ever learned to give systematically, scripturally, faithfully, you know what you're going to find out? You can't outgive God. It just doesn't happen. I'm not saying we don't get unexpected bills, and I'm not saying that sometimes things don't happen, but I promise you, you are under the blessing of God if you learn to give and give the way God wants you to give. It's just like Brother Larry Brown used to say all the time, I just want to be under the spout where the glory comes out. And when you give to God, that's exactly where you've put yourself. Can I give you one more? In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, um, where's it at? Verse number 7. The Bible says, every man according as he purposed within his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. See, I, I think the attitude behind what we give is just as important as the amount that we give. And the Bible says that God loveth a cheerful giver. I heard a preacher say one time, I know God loves a cheerful giver, but he said, I'll take money from any old grouch that's willing to let it go. <laughs> you got to love a preacher with a sense of humor. Verse number 11 says this, though. Being enriched in everything, listen to this, to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. You see, not only does giving reveal the sincerity of our love, but giving reflects our thanksgiving. Church, you, you understand, every penny that we have comes from God. Everything we have. Solomon put it this way, every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth and has given him power to eat there, and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. I've heard people say, oh, Pastor Scroll, you have to know I am a self-made man. There's no such thing as a self-made man because you didn't make yourself. God did. You didn't put those brain cells in your head. God did. Man, I, 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 was, I was at Ernie Strauss's the other day, and he showed me some different things around his shop, and I just walk away from there, Mike, and I'm like, man, some people were just gifted. I mean, I, I, I don't even know if I could change the spark plugs on my truck. In fact, I don't even know if my truck has spark plugs. I don't know. It's a 2021. You don't even know anymore what's going on. And uh, you pop the hood, and it just looks like one big little pretty picture there. And I'm like, all I can do is mess it up if I touch anything under there. And uh, I don't even know. I, I, I can put air in tires. I can do that on occasion. And, uh, you know, as long as my little meter says, oh, yeah, you, you need you know, a little bit low on that left hand, left tire over there. But uh, boy, some guys are just so gifted. Gordon over here, he, used to, he worked on so, my Jeep so many times, I think he knew the insides and out of that Jeep better than the manufacturer did. Replaced the water pump for me one time, took him four hours. When he got done, he had the biggest smile on his face, and I said, Gordon, what, what are you so happy about? He said, because if you blow another water pump, I can do it in half the time. I can do it in two hours next time. <laughs> By the grace of God, I hope to blow it again, Gordon, in six months, just so we can see if you can do it in two hours or less. I'm like, how do you get happy about that? Some people are just so gifted. You know what that is? It's the gift of God. It's the blessing of God. So if you think, oh, Pastor, I just can't afford to tithe. No, no, you can't afford not to tithe. If you don't, you are taking that blessing away. And you don't want to go to Malachi chapter 3 and see what God has to say. It's the last person you want to rob from on the face of this earth is almighty Abraham, I look in chapter 14, I see his fighting servants, I see his finances. Go to chapter 15, if you would. Let's look at his future real quick. Well, let's drop down to verse number four. 
Behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but this shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth and said, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And I love verse 6. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. We looked at that last week. The Bible says the same thing in Romans chapter 4, and it says the same thing in, uh, in James chapter 2, that Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. But look at verse number 7. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of the early Chaldees to give this land to, to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, take me an heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece over against another. But the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Okay, so here's what's about to happen. God's about to make a covenant with Abraham. And here's what God tells him. Take a heifer of three years old, a shegut of three years old, a ram of three years old, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. And, he, and, he, he, and, and it, the Bible says, and he took all these and divided them in the midst and laid each piece one against another, but the birds divided he not. So God said, Abram, we're, I'm about to make a covenant with you, so here's what I want you to do. Take this heifer, take this ram, take this she-goat. I want you to divide them in half. I want you to take two birds. I want you to put them on either side. And I want you to put a path in the midst of that. And I, I think the reason God really didn't seem to give Abram clear directions here is I think this was already well-known and well-established as far as setting and making a covenant in the days of Abram. I think Abram knew exactly what he needed to do. He took these pieces, he laid them all out, and look what happens in verse number 12. When the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, this is God, know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them 400 years. Anybody have an idea what country he's talking about? Egypt, thank you very much. I've got some Bible scholars here. And, and also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward they shall come out with great substance. Remember that? When, when Israel got ready to leave, they were just giving them jewels and garments. And do you remember when Moses got ready to build the tabernacle? Remember this? He had to restrain the people from giving. They'd brought too much stuff. And guess where they got all that stuff? In Egypt, when the Bible said they came out with great substance. Verse 15. Now shall go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass, listen, that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces, in the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Did you get that? A smoking furnace and a burning lamp. That represented God. And God came through the midst of the carcasses of those animals and said, Abram, I'm making a covenant with you. This is your land. Your, your seed is going to be as the stars of the sky or as the sand by the beaches. It's going to be innumerable, Abraham. Abraham, the, the father of the Jewish nation. And God made this covenant for him, and it was as if God was, was pulling the curtains back of time and saying, Abraham, this is what lies in your future. Let me go back to chapter 15 again. Let, let me go back to verse number one. After these things, the word Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. 
And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, behold to me, thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. Abraham was saying to God, he said, God, you haven't given me a promised son yet. So he said, I might have to take the son of Eliezer who was born in my house and I might have to claim him to be the promised seed. And in verse number four, the Bible says, and behold, the word Lord came unto him saying, this shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. You know what God said? God said, no, no, Abraham, don't, don't, don't put the cart before the horse. You're still alive. Sarai's still alive. There's still hope for you to have children. I know what he's thinking. God, I'm getting old. My wife's getting old. We're already past the childbearing years. But can I say this? That's not a problem with God. For with God, all things shall be possible. So in chapter 14, we see Abram's fighting servants. We see Abram's finances. We get to chapter 15. We see Abram's future. Now let's jump to chapter 16. And I'm going to close right here. Not yet, but I'm going to close right here eventually. And uh, I want to look at Abram's foolish decision. If you're in chapter 16, look at verses 1 through 6. And Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had in handmaid an Egyptian whose name was Hagar. No doubt she came back with them when they came back from the, the famine in chapter 12. Verse number 2, And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. So Abram's wife took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. He went in unto Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. So I said unto Abram, my wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between me and thee, verse 6. But Abram said unto her, behold, thy maid is in thine hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. Okay, can I, I've got several lessons from this last six verses here. Here's lesson number one, or maybe say question number one. What was Sarai thinking? What was she thinking? Abraham, I haven't had a child yet. We haven't, we don't have a promised son yet. So I think this is what we'll do. I've got this, this Egyptian maid here, her name is Hagar. Why don't you go in under her and, and we'll do the ceremony and she can become your wife and it may be that we can obtain children by her. What was she thinking? Did God just not tell Abram? The son of Eleazar is not the promised one. He's going to come out of your own bowels. Did he not tell Sarai the same thing? Yes, he did. What was she thinking? Oh, what she thought became a foolish decision. I was listening to a preacher preach recently, and he made a statement. And he said the average person makes 122 decisions per day. And I said, well, that seems like a lot to me. So I Googled it. And the first thing I Googled said that we make 35,000 decisions a day. And I said, no, somebody's got way too much time to come up with that one. <laughs> then I went down to another one that said that we make 256 decisions every day based on food. And I said, somebody's been following me. 
Somebody's reading my mind. I'm thinking 256. I might even be on a slow day. I'm just thinking, but 256. But I, I believe it or not, I found the website, John, that said the average person makes 122 decisions. And I said, that's where the guy got his information from. And I thought, you know, based on everything that I saw in there, 122 looked like the lowest amount. So I thought, that's probably a fair amount to go with. And I thought about this. 122 decisions a day. It's 44,000 decisions in a year. In 60 years, that's 2.6 million decisions. Mark, I know why I'm so tired at night now. <laughs> it's not old age. It's 122 decisions. I just can't think anymore. I got to go to bed. Follow me. Don't lose me. Don't lose me. Let's just say tomorrow, we all have an opportunity to make 122 decisions. And let's say we make 90% of those decisions correctly or rightly. Do you realize if, if we're at a 90% level in our decision making, that means at least 11 or more decisions are going to be wrong. Can I say this? Every decision that you and I make, it really does matter. This decision may not have seen like the big deal that it's turned out to be, but thousands of years later, there are still people dying because of this foolish decision that was made. The issue that's going on right now over in Israel is because of this decision. And can I say this? The Arabs have a good argument. They're claiming the land because of Ishmael. He was Abraham's firstborn. By right of the Old Testament, he should be getting two-thirds of the inheritance. Now, we understand that Isaac was the promised son, and we understand that Ishmael shouldn't have been part of the equation, but humanly speaking, he is. And the Arabs are saying, well, we have a right to this land because of Ishmael. The Jews said, no, no, he wasn't the promised seed, it's Isaac. And the Jews are right. But the Arabs still have ground and room to stand on because of a foolish decision that was made. But before I throw Abram under the bus, we've probably all been there. There's probably decisions we all wish we could go back and change. Probably all made decisions we'd like to go back and say, boy, I'd like to scratch that one from the memory. I'd like to scratch that one from my past decision-making. And I thought about that, 122 decisions a day. Church, can I say this? That's why it's so imperative that we walk with God. That's why it's so imperative that the choices, decisions we make are not based on our feelings or emotions at the time. Not based on the stress or the pressure that we're experiencing at the time. But we can say, I'm going to make these choices, decisions, because I believe this is what the will of God for my life is. I believe we live in a, in a generation today that makes decisions just so flippantly. Everything's an emotion. Everything's based on a feeling. When we ought to be able to say, I'm making this decision because this is what God has laid on my heart. Did you catch that uh, verse 2 in Sarishan and Abram? Behold, now the Lord have restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by hearing. Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. 
Can I say this? Silent men and silly women are still causing problems today. Oh, Pastor Girl, wow, you're stepping out of a limb calling women silly. No, no, Paul called them that in the book of Timothy. So I'm using a scriptural term. When you say silent men, what are you saying, Pastor Girl? Abraham should have been the first one to stand up and say, Sarai, you speak as one of the foolish women speak. Does that sound familiar? Who said that? Job did. When Job's wife said, do you still retain your integrity? She said, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? We've lost 10 children. You've lost your health. We've lost our wealth. We've lost our family. We've lost our finances. Job, you've lost your dignity. You've lost your self-respect. Job, you've lost everything. Why don't you just curse God and die? He didn't just say, okay. No, you know what he said? He said, you speak as one of the foolish women speak. You know what he did? He didn't remain silent. And he wasn't really rebuking her. He just said, ma'am, that is a foolish choice. That would be a foolish decision. He said, I most certainly will not curse God at this point in time in my life. And the Bible said that at the very end, the Bible said that Job died being full of days, which means he died a satisfied man. He lived long enough to see four more generations of his children. He lived long enough to see God restore not just what he had, but twice as much as he had before. And so did his wife. Because he was willing to stand up and say, honey, no, no. That would be a foolish thing to do. I'm going to go back to Genesis chapter 3 because I don't want to leave Abraham standing, standing out here all by himself. But in Genesis chapter 3, you remember this. When the serpent and Eve are talking together in verse number six, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. You know what the problem with Adam was in Genesis chapter three? He went silent. When she looked at that food, and when she got close to that tree, he should have said, honey, no, 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 no. We can eat of every tree in the garden except one. We don't even need to get close to that tree. Let's get as far away from that tree as we can. Follow me? Let's not get as close as we can. Examine that fruit. Look at it so close that it glistens in our eye because all of the devil's apples look like they're the best ones on the tree. Yet there's a worm right in the smack dab in the middle of it. And she looked at that and said, well, what can be wrong with that? It's just a piece of fruit. But it was forbidden by God. And where was Adam to stand up and say, honey, what are we doing here? What are you doing talking to a snake? Hello? Did I ever tell you there's five kinds of snakes I hate? And you know, I've increased it to six now. Big ones, little ones, live ones, dead ones, rubber ones, and talking ones. Thank you. Woohoo! Talking ones. Man, you find a talking snake, and I'm telling you what, you have found a demonic snake. Still under the curse. Why didn't Abraham stand up and say, Eve? Number one, we shouldn't even be here right now. And God made it very clear we can eat of every tree of the garden except for one the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We need to get away from this tree as fast as we can. You know what he did? Maybe it's not that bad. Maybe the end result won't be that bad. And he stood by and said nothing. She took of the fruit, 
She handed it to Adam, and he ate it too. Gentlemen, can I say this? I'm not, I'm not advocating being mean to your wives for a second. But there might be some time that you might have to stand up and say, honey, we, we can't do that. Honey, we shouldn't do that. Honey, I don't, I don't think God would be pleased with that. Honey, why don't we just wait on God? We both know that God's made a promise to us. Why don't we just trust God at his word, and why don't we just wait on God? Because you know how quickly we can get things out of sequence? How easily we can put the cart before the horse, how easily we can make a decision before we've thought about it, let alone prayed about it. I mean, I'll be honest with you. When I heard this preacher say we were responsible for making 122 decisions a day, I thought, man, that just seems like an awful lot. But then the more I got thinking about it, we, we do make a lot of decisions. And if we start making decisions without the leading and without the guidance of God and the Holy Spirit of God, we're setting ourselves up for a fall every single In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Well, maybe Solomon recognized the best thing I can do is to say, God, what choices and decisions do I need to make today? God, I'm acknowledging that I'm going to make choices and decisions today that I don't even know what they are yet, and I might not even be prepared to make them. So could you give me the wisdom that I need and the understanding that I need when I have to make that choice or decision that I can say, by the grace of God, I think this is what God would have me to do. Because you know what Abraham did? He made a foolish decision. Worse than that, his wife was the one that concocted the idea in the first place. Now you got two people that are on the same page, responsible for making the same decision. And then look at what happens. Look at verse number five. I, I, I love this. this. It's almost comical. Verse number four, I'm sorry. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. Well, guess what? Hagar's walking around all la ti da. I'm carrying your husband's child. And Sarai said, I didn't bargain for this. I thought she was going to be submissive. She's always been submissive when she was single and wasn't pregnant. Now all of a sudden she thinks she owns the world. Oh, look at the next verse. You got to love this. Verse five. And Sarai said unto Abram, listen to this. My wrong, my wrong be upon thee. <laughs> she said, if I'm guilty, it's on your shoulders because you're the man of this house. Hello? I understand. I might have made and come to you with a wrong scenario, but you're the one that should have said yay or nay, and you bit into it, so it's your fault, Abraham. You ever made a bad decision and tried to blame somebody else? You ever made a bad decision and tried to blame somebody else? She knows that's true, I promise you. She said you can twist things so fast. When they're good decisions, they're yours. When they're bad decisions, they're mine. She's agreeing with me. Sad. Sad but true. That's what's right. She said, I want you to know my wrong. If, I, if there's anything wrong with my little concoction, 
It's on you, big boy. Then look at the next verse, verse 6. But Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, my maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. Do you know, if we blame others and mistreat others, it doesn't negate the fact that we made a foolish decision. I've watched people make bad decisions and they take it out on everybody else. As if it's everybody else's fault. And they had nothing to do with the decision-making process. Isn't human nature funny? And we do the same thing thousands of years later. And we look at Abram and Shri and say, well, I wouldn't have done something like that. You better be careful before you make that statement. Given the opportunity, we can make some pretty foolish decisions too. And given the opportunities we have, we've probably all made some foolish decisions. See, let me check my notes real quick, make sure I didn't leave anything out yet. Oh, can I say this? This decision that they came up with, here's Hagar, Abram, marry her, and maybe we can have children by her. Get this. Not only did it not solve their problem, it created many others. Oh, you say, Pastor, what, what, what's the big deal about one wrong decision? Because sometimes one wrong decision creates more wrong decisions. And sometimes the fallout just doesn't seem to ever stop. And, and, and here they are, and, and, and all of a sudden, you, you know the story. She deals hardly with her, and guess what happens? She leaves. God sees her, tells her to submit to Sarai, and comes back, and she does. Then when, when, when little Isaac is born, and he's in the process of being weaned, Ishmael's mocking him and making fun of him. And I understand, young men, don't tease little children. They're just little kids. I know they can get under your skin, and they can drive you nuts sometimes. When we first came here, there was a little boy in our church, and he was about this tall probably six or seven years old. Every time, I, I was 16, this kid's six or seven. Every time he saw me Sunday morning, Sunday, Wednesday night, he wore cowboy boots, and he would come up to me every time, and bam, and kick me right in the shin. Bam, kick me in the shin. Bam, kick me again. He knew I couldn't touch him. I was the pastor's son. I couldn't do a thing. Then I went to my dad one time, and I said, Dad, the next time he does that, I'm going to knock his stinking block off. You know what my dad said? Better think twice. He's just a little kid. I said, Dad, this kid's about to drive me over the edge. He said, you know what? Has he drawn blood yet? No, don't give me this no blood, no foul thing, Dad. Don't go there. He said, I, I, I think you'll be okay. And here's Ishmael mocking Isaac. You know what Sarai says? She goes to Abram and says, send her away. I don't, want, I don't want her to be around here anymore. You know what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 21? That that was very grievous to Abraham because that was his son. See, church, if we're not careful, we can make so many decisions that we don't think really are that big of a deal. But when our chickens come home to roost, all of a sudden we realize, you know what? Those really were bigger decisions than we Hey, some of you young people are making some crucial decisions in your life in the next few months, next few years. Can I say this? Bathe them in prayer. Where you go to college, it's very important. 
Who you start dating, courting, getting ready to get married, huge deal. Who you marry will make or break you in life. Where you are in 10 years may very well have to do with who you marry or who you don't marry. If you think, oh, Pastor Cole, she is just absolutely drop-dead gorgeous, I'm glad you think so, but you better look for something more than just her beauty. You better check out her character. You better check out her Christianity. You might want to check out a little bit even further than that and find out how much she really loves God and how faithful is she to God and how faithfully does she serve God and does she pay attention in church? If she makes $100 a week, does she put at least $10 of a tithe and some offering in there? Because if she doesn't, if she robs from God, she'll probably rob from you one day. Don't come to me when you're 25 and say, Pastor Carl, I just wish I would have known this sooner. Every decision is a big decision. I could preach on this till the cows come home, but I'm going to stop right here. I look in chapter 14 and I see Abram's fighting servants only because Lot made a decision to pitch his tent towards Sodom then he made a decision to move to Sodom. Then he got taken captive. And I'm convinced that God's up in heaven. And God's sounding the alarm. And Lot said, somebody hear something? Somebody call my name? And God was trying to get his hands to say, Lot, you, you made a foolish decision I'm going to give you a chance to recognize that foolish decision and go back the opposite way from which you came and right back to Sodom and Gomorrah. I see Abram's finances, Melchizedek shows up, the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. And Abram begins to fellowship with him, and Abram said, I'm going to give you tithes of all. I'm going to give you a tenth of everything that I have. We get to chapter 15, and we see Abraham's future, and God said, Abraham, I'm going I'm to make a covenant with you. And, and church, can I say this? God never breaks his covenants. He never breaks his words. And, and, and Abram takes these pieces of these animals, and he divides them in half, and he kind of puts a little path in there, and he knocks the birds, he keeps the birds from, from interfering with that. And when it got dark, all of a sudden, here comes this, this smoking furnace and a burning lamp. probably representing no more than the Shekinah glory of God. And God walks in the midst of that and says, Abram, I'm making this covenant with you, and it's going to last forever and ever and ever. We get to chapter 16, and we see a very foolish decision. Church, if I can remind you, every decision matters. The little ones as well as the big ones. We, we can make decisions so flippantly. If we're making 122 a day, they're coming pretty rapidly. That's why we better make sure that we're, we're right with God and as close to God as we can. So when those decisions come, if we don't have a lot of time to think about it, don't have a lot of time to pray about it, we better make sure that we've already said, God, please, would you, would you guard my path today? Would you, would you guard every step I make, every decision I make, and make sure that what I, the choices I make and the decisions I make today are pleasing and honoring and glorifying to you? Because they come so fast. Some of them may be short-lived, but some of them may last a lifetime, and some may be even longer than that. I see Abram's fighting servants. I see Abram's finances. I see Abram's future. I see Abram's foolish decisions.
May we look at those passive scriptures and say, by the grace of God, there's something there for me tonight. Heavenly Father, help us tonight. Thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. God, help us to open our eyes tonight and say, God, don't, don't let me miss what you had for me tonight. Somebody here might need just a, an encouragement about giving and tithing and the importance of, of handling our finances. Some here tonight maybe need to be reminded about the, the importance of a wake-up call. And God sends a wake-up call to make sure that we take heed. Maybe somebody just need to be reminded of our future and that God has our future already lined up for us if we're just willing to, to line up with God. And we all need to be reminded about the foolishness of our choices and decisions that so easily can come our way. And yet so many times when those decisions and choices are made, all we can do is just wait for the consequences to come. And may we learn from Abram and Sarai. May we look at their, their situation and say, by the grace of God, help me to put a little bit more time and effort and prayer into the, my decisions that I make on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis. Because God, I'm convinced that every decision we make in life matters. Help us to see these things tonight, I pray in Jesus' name.